You're listening to the Charity Champions Podcast. Each year, TFNB Your Bank for Life chooses six nonprofits from around Central Texas to recognize as Charity Champions. Tonight's Charity Champion is... Champions enjoy live on-field presentations at Baylor University home football and basketball games, online broadcast and print marketing exposure, and world-class leadership development through 360 Solutions, all at no cost to the nonprofit. In this podcast, we want to get to know our Charity Champions a little better. We're bringing those who help and those who have been helped into the studio to hear the stories behind the champions. On this episode of the Charity Champions podcast, hospice myths. The biggest myth is that hospice is someplace I go when I'm dying. We sit down with Vicki Jingle, CEO of Community Healthcare of Texas, and volunteer coordinator Sonia Wilson to learn more about the hospice process, how volunteers can get involved, and their recent name change. And now, let's get to know our champions. I'm uh, Vicki Jingle. I'm the CEO of Community Healthcare of Texas. I've actually been with the company in total now about 18 years, almost 19. Started with hospice as an accountant and just fell in love with it and fell in love with what we could do and worked through all sorts of different positions until finally I'm here at the CEO level. So um, love the company, love our mission, um, love the fact that we are a not-for-profit I have worked for for for-profit hospices, and there is a tremendous difference in what a for-profit hospice does. Um, We all get paid very similar. We all are required to do certain things. What not-for-profit hospices are allowed to do is stretch our community dollars a little bit further. So we don't have a, a stockholder to pay back. We don't have a private owner that's expecting a certain dividend. Um, we're able to take everything that we do and put it right back into the community. So I am extremely proud and pleased to be here as the CEO. I'm Sonia Wilson. I have been with Community Healthcare of Texas, Providence Hospice, for almost 24 years now. And I am the volunteer coordinator here in the Waco area. What was formerly Providence Hospice is now Community Healthcare, correct? Right. What is Community Healthcare? So Providence Hospice is now Community Healthcare of Texas. Um, We changed our name January 1st with the intent of being able to reach out further into our communities. So everything stays the same. We're still the same company that we were as of December 31st, 2019. We just changed our name so that our reach can be further. So hospice is a little limiting in who we can get to in the community. So by changing to Community Healthcare of Texas, we'll be able to expand that. We've really seen a huge need in our communities for people who are not quite ready for hospice or maybe have a little bit of a fear of hospice. So those are the patients and the families that we're trying to reach out to. Okay. And so you saw this as an opportunity to show that what Providence was doing was more than just hospice. Right, right. So we've been in the community now for almost 25 years, just right at 25 years. And we're a community-based company. We've always been a not-for-profit company. um, And we've always been out in the communities trying to help patients. And we do a lot more than just hospice. um, But most people equate, well, that's, that's hospice. And hospice usually means, unfortunately, 
the myths of hospice are getting greater and greater. So a lot of people equate the word hospice with I'm dying and I'm dying right now, when really the whole hospice benefit was set up to be more than six months to really help that patient and that family navigate through the terminal illness and kind of wrap them in a big hug, just kind of take all aspects of what's going on. When you get this news, what does that mean? And how do I navigate through that? So hospice was set up to kind of hug that patient and the family with the whole team. We are the first healthcare system in the United States and pretty much abroad that actually has an interdisciplinary team. So we have chaplains and social workers and uh, nurses and physicians and volunteers, just the whole contingent to help that patient and family walk down this path. But what's happened is that people equate hospice with death now. And so we're seeing patients come on our program later and later in their disease, changing our name and taking hospice out of it and putting healthcare into it will help broaden the scope. And, and our intent is then we can reach more of these people who really need us there to navigate through this terminal illness. Talking about the organization as a whole, can you speak on that and how being a part of a bigger network in the healthcare system, sure. um, how does that benefit? Sure. We are um, the largest not-for-profit hospice in the state of Texas and one of the largest ones in the nation. Uh, we cover 27 counties in total, and we have about 500 patients on our program at any point in time. We do pediatric hospice, and now soon, hopefully, we'll be doing pediatric palliative care. We have three inpatient units spread across our, in our territory. And the difference there is a lot of people think when, you know, sometimes the first question that somebody will say is, well, where is your hospice at? And hospice is not a place necessarily. Hospice is done in the patient's home for the most part. 98% of our care is done in the patient's home, wherever that is. If that's in a nursing home or if that's in their home home or an assisted living, we'll, we'll go to the patient. So there really isn't a place that is a hospice. We have offices, but our staff, our nurses and home health aides and social workers and chaplains, they're all out in the field. Um, but occasionally a patient will have a crisis and need a little bit more care than what we can provide in the home. And so those are our inpatient units. We'll take the patient um, to our inpatient units spread throughout. We have one here in Waco, um, one in Fort Worth, and then one in Burleson, actually. And so we can take them there uh, for about anywhere from two to five to seven days and then help them get that symptom under control and then hopefully get them back home so that they can continue where they really want to be. The beauty of our inpatient units is they can bring their pets with them. You know, I think we all can identify with the, that's very comforting to have your animal there with you. Um, but also you can bring all your family with you. I mean, they can come, they can stay. We don't have visiting hours. And we encourage spouses or parents to stay in the room, make yourself comfortable. Um, so those are our inpatient units. We belong to a very large not-for-profit network. So we belong to the Texas not Nonprofit Hospice Alliance. And we are one of about 23 not-for-profits 
spread throughout the state. And we also belong to the National Partnership for Hospice Innovation, which is about 60 hospices throughout the nation, all not-for-profits that come together to um, share best practices, to talk about how we can do hospice better, how we can do palliative care better, um, and what innovative things we can expand into. Um, you were talking about, and you've mentioned this a few times, about how this is a not-for-profit organization. Why do you think that that is important for this organization to be a not-for-profit? I think probably the biggest part is that we can really be focused on our communities. We can take, again, I mentioned before that all prof, all hospices are paid the same. Most of us are Medicare-based hospices. We also take private insurance Medicaid and, of course, self-pay, but the majority of all hospices are based on the Medicare benefit. Um, that pays every hospice throughout the nation the same. It's based on the same scale, depending on what your cost of living is in your area, but, but everybody's paid pretty much the same. They're required to do certain things. Like We're required to have nurses, um, RNs and LVNs. We're required to have certified nurses assistants, um, social workers, chaplains. Those are stated as requirements. What is not stated is how many you have to have. What is your uh, ratio to your patient? So what I tell people is when you're looking at your hospice, maybe look at it like you would your child who's going to daycare. The first thing I asked when I put my child in daycare is what what's the ratio of child to caretaker. And it, there, it varies, right? It varies at all the difference. So does it with hospice. So you want to know what is the ratio? How many nurses do you have that take care of patients? How many nurses actually go out at night and take care of patients? So we have on-call nurses. How many nurses are ready to do triage, which is answer my phone in the middle of the night when I'm in a crisis? Um, all of that varies based on how much profit you want to make. Um, so hospices that are for-profit will have less services to, to some extent um, and provide fewer things um, because they need a profit, right? There, there's a stockholder who needs to be paid or there is an owner who expects a certain return on their investments. As a not-for-profit, we still need to have a profit because no money, no mission, um, but anything that we do have extra goes right back into our communities, goes right back into our organization so that we can provide more things. We do a lot of bereavement. Bereavement is an expectation of hospice, and it is required, but it isn't stated what, what is that, what is bereavement. Um, some hospices, bereavement could be as much as just sending a, a, a letter, um, we do bereavement groups, we do counseling sessions, we do phone calls, um, we do send cards and letters as well, but we include a lot more. We do our inpatient units. Inpatient units are extremely expensive, um, which you will find that most for-profit hospices don't do inpatient units anymore because there's a cost to that, a cost that they're not willing to provide. Um, we do pediatric care. We are one of the few hospices in the nation who do pediatric care because 
there's just a lot of time and intensity in that, which usually equates to more costs. And so hospices that are not are for-profit don't usually want to put that extra cost into that. Um, and we also do, this past year in 2019, we did over a million dollars of non-funded care. Um, and that is two years in a row that we've exceeded a million dollars in non-funded care. So we're very proud to say that if a patient needs us, we're going to be there for them, regardless of their ability to pay. Um, and that is what makes us different as a not-for-profit, is we can do that. We have the ability to put that money back into our non-funded care, um, back into our pediatric care, back into our staff, um, so that we can provide even better care than what is just a basic requirement. And you've also touched on this a little bit. You were talking about this earlier in the myths of hospice. Can you elaborate on some of those and what the what the actual reality of it is? Sure. The biggest myth is that hospice is someplace I go when I'm dying. And, and that means that I'm dying now or within the next couple of days or, or my loved one is. Um, that's a myth. Hospice was actually designed to be six months or more, or six months or less, right in that, that frame. But there's no magical number. It's not if I hit six months, I have to come off the program. But really, it was designed for a longer period of time so that we can really have the whole team work with that family and patient. It's also a myth to say, well, the only thing that hospice does is control pain. That is absolutely one of the things that we do, but we also help with the whole psychosocial needs. Most of the time, somebody who receives a terminal diagnosis hasn't thought about what they're going to do when they receive a terminal diagnosis, and that can be any age. You go to the doctor, and all of a sudden you walk out knowing that you have cancer. What's my next step? That's when hospice can really come in and help. We can help have those conversations. We can help you think about what conversations you need to have. A lot of times what we find is that families are reluctant to talk to their loved ones about what's going to happen, and their loved ones are reluctant to talk to the patient with the terminal diagnosis about what's going to happen. So those conversations don't happen. Um, and that's what hospice is really designed, and we, we do such great work with that. Our nurses, our chaplains, our social workers are all trained on having those conversations and really helping to walk those families through this um, and be there with them. The other thing is a lot of times is if I go on hospice and I decide that I, I want to get that cancer treatment, I can't do it. That's totally wrong. If you decide, if something comes up and you're on hospice and you decide you want to do that, you can absolutely do that. You might come off a of hospice for a little while. That's fine. We love it when people graduate off of our program. That's a success. Um, and we're there still for you. We'll, we'll keep in contact with you. We'll follow you. We want to know what's going on. And when you're ready, you can come back on hospice. So it, it's not a, a determinant at this moment. This is the last decision I'm ever going to make. And a lot of people feel that way. It is a tough decision. Hospice is, the, the hospice benefit is for allowing the disease to travel its normal course. So you are going to give up aggressive treatment. And when I say aggressive treatment, that means, you know, maybe radiation or chemo, 
the questions that we want families to ask and, and patients to ask is, when your doctor says, this is the treatment you need, ask the question, what am I going to get if I do this treatment? The treatment is a treatment. There's no doubt about it. But sometimes it might only be, you know, you might suffer more than what the treatment will actually do. And doctors have a hard time having that conversation because they're, they're trained. They, they are absolutely 100% geared to let's treat, let's treat, let's treat. And we love our doctors. We have lots of them in our program. Um, but our doctors are more palliative doctors. They want to know what's best for the person. What does this person want? Let's talk about your goals. Um, let's talk about what you're what you want to do. If you only have six months left, what is important to you? Does it mean that you want to take chemo and you want to fight until the bitter end? That's awesome. Or does it mean that you want to be home, maybe on the farm with your family, with your animals, with, you know, you're doing what you do every single day. We're going to do that with you. We're going to walk that with you. So that's, that's kind of, I think I hit on the majority of the myths. Um, there's, there's so many. The, the biggest one is that I have to be dying, and you really don't. People can be on hospice and go to work. People can be on hospice and go to church. People can be on hospice and continue to live their daily lives. We're just going to start having those conversations and start preparing for what will come. So, and this is a question to both of you, when you both have been in this for a long time, why did you get into it and what has kept you into it and what makes you passionate about it? Yeah, I'll answer that first because I've been doing all the talking for Sonia. Um, I fell into it. I, I mean, mine's an easy one. I'm an accountant um, and there was a, a ad in the paper and I applied for the job and um, kind of fell into talking to our, our CEO who was there at the time and sounded like a pretty good job. Had no idea really what hospice was. Um, started working and fell in love with it after the fact. So the first couple of times that I went out to families, I was terrified. Um, what do you say to these families? How do you how do you even talk to families that are you know have a loved one who's dying? But once you start those conversations, you, you, you can't help but fall in love. People are, it, it, there is no greater time to be with families than when you have a birth of a child or a family member is going through the last stages of their life. There's, there's just no, no better, more sacred time to be there. Um, the stories that are shared, the love that you see, the care and the compassion that is there is incredible. So I fell into it, but I couldn't see myself ever doing anything else. Perfect. And how about you, Sonia? My hospice journey started many years ago before I was even involved in hospice, I had a very, very good friend whose little boy was diagnosed with leukemia at the age of five. He passed away at the age of almost nine years old. And during that four years of time, our families were so close that, you know, he stayed with me, my kids stayed with them. Um, and we just had that opportunity to um, be close enough to, to travel that road with them. And during that time, Nobody ever mentioned 
hospice to us. It was not even a consideration, um, and everything looked really great for a period of time, but towards the end of it, even me, who had no experience in the clinical world, could recognize that this was not going to end up as we had thought. The last day of um, life for this young man, um, mom had called me, his mom had called me, and, and I went to Cook's Children's Hospital in Fort Worth, and he was laying in a bed um, in a sterile environment. There were there was nobody around that could offer some companionship or compassion or even some reasoning as to why this was happening to this little little guy, and watched him die in that in that room, and it was very cold. And I kept thinking to myself, surely there's a better way for children to pass away, you know. And I kept thinking later on, you know, especially when I was introduced to hospice and and knew my, knew about it, knowing that, you know, how different could that have looked for him? He could have been in his own bed with his little dog and his Ninja Turtle pajamas and his, you know, Nolan Ryan baseball bat tucked under his pillow and his little sisters with him, and instead of laying there hooked up to all of these bells and whistles and um, not in a comfortable place. Um, So that's what touched my heart. I believe in our mission. I believe that um, we can provide that dignity in death and allow people to have the power to make choices at the end of their life as to whether or not they want to eat a tub of bluebell ice cream when they're a diabetic or if they, you know, don't want to, you know, just those simple choices. So that's what what got me and that's what's kept me. Perfect. And since you're the volunteer coordinator, you'd be the best to probably talk about this. How can people get involved with, with this? So if somebody wants to volunteer in a hospice program, you know, specifically with us, um, they don't have to have any clinical experience. We look for people that are compassionate, that are kind, and want to give back. Um, Our volunteers kind of, I call them gap fillers. They stand in the gap where um, they can be social and uh, with patients and provide companionship. Death is a scary thing for a lot of people, and people become isolated in their own homes that perhaps, you know, they were very social. They went to church. They drank coffee at the old man's club at 7-Eleven. They did a lot of... um, social activities. And when they get homebound, they become more isolated. And most people don't know how to talk to somebody that's dying. It's a very difficult conversation. So our volunteers are trained to know how to step in socially, how to provide companionship, emotional support, and spiritual support um, at that patient's level and request. Um, so volunteers can contact us um, on our website, chot.org, or they can call the Waco office at 254-399-9099. And I love the opportunity to visit with people and find out what they're passionate about and try to plug them in. There is a, a training program. There are requirements that volunteers do have to meet, um, and, um, but we want to make sure there's a good fit within our organization and with our families and patients. Perfect. And kind of going off that good fit, you've alluded to the mission a little bit of community or community healthcare. And what is that mission and what does it mean to y'all? 
our mission is to provide compassionate care to all patients at end of life. Um, and what that means is exactly that. We, we want to be there to provide that compassionate care. Our, we have four core values, um, and that's compassion, first and foremost, integrity, teamwork, and commitment. And when we talk to all of our staff and our volunteers about those four core values, and, and part of our mission just speaks that, and that's what we live by, is when you do this work, and it, it is work a lot of times, you have to keep that compassion. You cannot, you cannot treat this as one, one thing for everybody. Um, everybody gets to do this once. Um, and only once. So it's different for every person when you walk in there. You can't, you can't have a bad day when you are taking care of hospice patients. You can't um, be in a bad mood. You have to always remember that they do this once. We do this once. Um, keep that compassion. Keep that integrity. Um, we we live by that, and that's that is embedded in our mission. Hospice care, I think, to me, is about living, not dying, mm -hmm. um, that you get to take that last breath just once in your life. But until then, you're living. And ha hospice has the ability and the way to make the next breath the best that it can be for that person. Um, however that looks like for them, whatever they choose, um, the way they live, um, just the next breath can be the best for them. You know, it's not about dying. It's about living the best that you can until you take that last breath. And with that, you know, we, we meet people where they are. Um, we don't judge. We don't say, well, if you're not in a fancy house, we can't take care of you. Or, you know, if you're on this side of town, we can't take care of you. We, we meet people where they are in, in all walks of life. And our staff are trained to do that, our um, compassionate people to do that. So it, it's, it's so enjoyable to hear the different stories of what did make value to that family, to that patient. And we hear, we keep those contacts. A lot of our volunteers that Sonia has and, and that we have throughout the state are family members of patients who have been on our program that have realized, oh my gosh, this was such a miracle for us. And we hear that word a lot for us to have this. I want to give back to, I want to be a part of this. I want to, I want to experience this with somebody else. Um, and so a lot of our volunteers, that's, that's part of what they have, have are giving back is, is that's, um, and Sonia's great at that. As, uh, I, I think, I'm not sure if we're going to get to this or not, but Sonia is actually our employee of the year. Um, so she, like I said, we have our four core values and we look for an employee who exhibits all of those core values, who has that commitment to providing excellent care and the teamwork, because it is a team. We don't, there's nobody who can do this on their own. Um, myself, all the way to every level of care that we give, um, to the compassion of just every patient you touch is a new patient and is a patient and a family who needs our help. And she's been with us for 24 years, so 
I think that goes without saying that she's got commitment to what she's doing. So we are extremely proud to, to have Sonia as our employee of the year this year for, for um, her work with us and everything that she does. Um, she's She definitely exemplifies what Community Healthcare of Texas is and who we want to be. Perfect. Well, congratulations to you. Thank you. And um, going off of that, actually, for both of you, can you give me a story or something that has been the most impactful for you as you've been working in this industry? I think for me, when Vicki was talking about meeting patients where they are, when I first started with hospice, I was just so overwhelmed at the benefits that families could get. And I remember going to visit an older man in a very poor part of town. And I remember visiting with him and just sitting with him and saying, Would, wouldn't you like a hospital bed that we you know have nice clean sheets on it? And he had a mattress on the floor of his of his room. There was a light bulb hanging above the mattress. Um, it was a very poor place. There were wads of newspaper packed in the walls. And I, you know, kept trying to talk to him and he kept saying, no, no, I'm happy. I'm content. I am happy. I'm content. And every time I went back to see him, I tried a little bit more and a little bit harder to say, we can bring you in a hospital bed. It would be so comfortable. You can make it go up and down. And he said, you just don't understand. I'm content. And it wasn't until I was there one time when the school bus arrived and out from that school bus popped three little kids that ran into the house and jumped on that mattress with their grandfather and loved on him and pulled out of their backpacks the pictures that they drew. And he looked at me and he said, now do you understand? And I did. I did. It wasn't the fact that he wouldn't have benefited from a bed that was more comfortable than a mattress on the ground. It was what was important to him was being available for his grandchildren to run and jump and cuddle up on the bed with him. That was impactful to me. So many things are going through my mind. It's, it, what, what is the most impactful um, it's it's so it it's almost impossible to come up with one. Um, believe it or not, hospice is a fun place to be, um, and I know people are always kind of like it's a Debbie Downer, but it it really isn't. It's a very uplifting, very fun place to be. We laugh a lot, um, we laugh together, and probably a lot of the things that were just going through my mind are are happy things, are are things that we've just shared over the years. Um, I know we had uh, probably the funny story that always kind of pops into my head right away is we had a, a hospice dog. When we first started hospice, we, we really felt like we needed to have a hospice dog at our inpatient unit. Um, we didn't think that went all the way through, but we knew that, you know, dogs are great with patients. And so in our in our naive way, we, we felt that was going to be it. So we got, we got a dog and, um, the dog was super sweet, but what we didn't realize was that every family member that came into the hospice house would feed that dog. Mm -hmm. Um, so over, over the course of about two years, this dog became huge. Um, 
more weight than it needed to have. <laughs> and it also became very gassy <laughs> because we didn't have any control over what family members would pay or would, would feed this dog. Um, and we used to have our board meetings at the inpatient unit. And so one day we were having a board meeting. We had, you know, all of our board members there and thank goodness they are all normal people, but the dog was underneath the table and all of a sudden, all the board members started kind of looking around. Um, and my CEO at the time just started laughing because this dog, we finally had to invite the dog to leave the room. Um, but th that was, that was uh, probably one of the first really seriously funny stories that we had to tell. And, and family members would also in, enjoy and tell on that dog. Um, it was it was a super sweet dog, but it, it finally had to graduate from hospice house. It, it couldn't live there anymore. It was just getting too big and too too um, uh, uncontrolled. So that was that was one. The other thing, and, and I would say it's probably at our inpatient unit too, was the first time that a family member asked if they could bring their couch to the unit. And not all of our units would allow this, but this this place does. It's very large. It's it's out on a lot of property and. Um, can be spread out. And the family member said, you know, I, I, I know I need to be here, but can we bring the couch? Because I, I want my mom to be on that couch. That's where she spent a lot of time. Um, and so they brought their couch, they brought their cat, they brought pretty much most of the living room, set up in one of our big rooms and had a, had a grand time for the last week of the patient's life, and and I think you know she had she had the time, um, and they had conversations, and they had um, they did have the hospice house dog in there too, and they were feeding it, um, but it was it was just such a happy time for them, and that was when, uh, you know, again you start realizing as as a person who's setting this up, this is such great work we're doing. This is such a privilege for us to be here to to be a part of this um, and to have the facilities that can do this. Um, so it's it's just there's a lot. I could probably sit here and tell stories all day about um, different things that have happened and different families that we've been with. The veterans, oh my gosh, talking to the veterans on our program, it just, it always gives me chills and uh, you could spend days with them hearing their stories and listening to them talk. And very few people want to listen to that anymore. Um, you know, unfortunately, our veterans are sometimes forgotten and there's a whole wave of Vietnam veterans now that are coming into our program that just want to talk. They just want to be heard. They just want to tell their story. I love sitting and listening to their stories. Is there anything that you guys want to talk about that you haven't gotten to talk about yet or anything like that? I'd say that we are always looking for volunteers to work with us and with our families and our patients. And there's a lot of opportunities out there. Some people think that volunteering just means that you're going to sit with somebody that's dying. There is the opportunity to do that. But there is also the opportunity to provide pet therapy. There's the opportunity to play musical instruments, to bring a singing group. There's an opportunity to scrapbook for people. There's an opportunity to, um, if you're a, a barber or a hairdresser, to cut hair for our patients. There's the opportunity for um, people to just sit and drink coffee, read stories to them, 
Um, there's the opportunity to work in the office if you're interested in doing that. There's the opportunity to um, help with health fairs and promoting hospice within the community. There's the opportunity to be on the advisory council when you've had some experience um, in the field. There's the opportunity to be an interpreter and um, help communicate with people in their native language. So there's a lot of opportunities out there. The Waco group of volunteers last year gave over 8,000 hours. Wow. Pretty phenomenal. We have one volunteer, she's one of our stars, and she gave over 1,700 hours last year serving the um, our families and our patients. So, That's incredible. Yeah. But some people can only do, you know, 100 or 200 hours a year. And that's excellent. We love those folks that can just give a little bit of their time as well. The, the only thing I would want to end with is anybody who is questioning after maybe listening to this, you know, could I qualify for hospice or, you know, can I find out more about hospice? We we are willing and ready and want to talk to anybody who might have questions, whether you are ready or not, or whether you're just wanting to find out information, give us a call. Let us know. Um, we are more than happy to talk about where you are um, and what we can do to help you. The other part is we mentioned earlier on about our bereavement program, and we open our bereavement program to anybody in the community. So anybody who has had a loss can be a part of our bereavement program. Um, just give us a call. Let us know. You can go on our website um, and connect with us. But we open that up to anybody who needs help with their grief. Um, so please just reach out to us. Um, there is no wrong on that. There is no, you know, maybe I shouldn't or I didn't qualify. That is that is absolutely fine. Um, and then one small little plug for employees. We are always looking for compassionate people to help care for patients. Um, we need nurses and social workers and chaplains and home health aides, um, obviously volunteers, but we're always looking for that next really great team member. Thanks for listening to the Charity Champions podcast. If you're listening on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, please take a moment to rate and review us. This helps our podcast reach more listeners. Have a charity you'd like to nominate for next season? Visit charitychampions.org and look for the nominate button at the top of the page. You can also find more information on this podcast and all charity champions at charitychampions.org. We'll see you next time.